This podcast is produced by Benchmark Education. In this episode of Teachers Talk Shop, driving reading comprehension through cultural relevancy. Joining us are three guests, author and educator Allison Briseño. The sciences of reading and the use of diverse books are not mutually exclusive. We can we can do both at the same time. Author, educator Claudia Rodriguez Mojica. We want all of our students with exactly who they are and exactly who their families are to feel like they belong. And fifth grade teacher Claire Hood. As teachers, when we're thinking about setting up our classroom, we want a backwards plan from where they start, where our kids are. Allison and Claudia are literacy and bilingual experts and the co-authors of Conscious Classrooms, using diverse texts for inclusion, equity, and justice. That is a PD Essentials book. Claire is one of the teachers they highlighted in the book's Voices from the Field. Recently, the three of them spoke with author and educator Patty McGee about culturally and linguistically sustaining practices and how to demystify them to achieve deep, connected learning. I'm Kevin Carlson, and this is Teachers Talk Shop. How about we get started a little bit with some of the basics? So we are talking about culturally and linguistically sustaining practices, which is a lot of syllables in just four words. (laughs) And so I think it needs a little unpacking. Claudia, would you start off by sharing just a definition, some background knowledge for us to know about this topic we're discussing today? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about culturally and linguistically sustaining practices, we're really emphasizing that we're going beyond having, you know, posters on the classroom walls with like diverse folks represented on there and also diverse books on our classroom shelves. So we're going deeper than that, right? So we're going deeper in that we want to be able to sustain our students' cultures and sustain their linguistic practices. So the word sustaining here is super, super important. And we center our students that have been marginalized or communities that have been marginalized in the center of our classroom work. We really like what Paris and Aleem say about culturally sustaining practices. They say that um, we aim for schooling to be a site for sustaining the cultural ways of beings of communities of color. So this is really emphasizing um, the culture piece. We include linguistically, like you said, in culturally and linguistically sustaining practices because language is a core part of who we are, right? So it's a core part of who our students are and who their families are, a core part of their identities. And we want schooling to be a site where we sustain the ways that they speak, the way that they communicate, the linguistic practices we say um, in the classroom, right? And in our schools. And we know that communities across the United States, we speak so many different languages. We don't just speak English, right? Some of us speak more than two languages, three languages, and we move fluidly across these languages. We use them flexibly and naturally. And we want to be able to sustain these practices in schools and more specifically in classrooms. It's so beautiful (laughs) when you think about it, right? It's just thinking about how everyone's culture and language 
um, hold such value and importance in their own lives, but also how it brings so much to the rest of us when it's something that we're not as familiar with and how rich that becomes. And we know over time that also becomes part of our culture. So the more we can sustain um, these practices around um, literacy, um, around translanguaging around culture. Um, so much of this is really important. And I'd love to hear um, maybe Claire, if you could share a little bit about some of the things that um, are practices you use in the classroom specifically. Yeah, so um, I have taught grades kinder through fifth grade. And I think one of the really important parts when we're finding text for our classrooms is to really look at who we're serving and how we can benefit them. And so, you know, in um, Claudia's and Allison's book, they have a whole part about sliding glass doors, mirrors, and windows, and using that framework of how to identify really great text. So for example, I have had students um, that ha are differently abled and having books that allow kids not just it gives those students a mirror, but it also gives a window for all students to understand and to appreciate what our differences are. And so having these things really helps support students see themselves in books and see themselves as a part of the culture. Um, but it also helps all students, no matter where you are, the more you learn about other people and learn about yourself, the more well-rounded person you're going to end up being. Isn't that so beautiful, right? That wherever there's a space for um, sustaining something important that's within all of us, one of the first and most simple places that we can turn is to books. Um, yeah. And so I definitely want to give a shout out uh, to your book. Um, Claire brought it up, um, Allison and Claudia, The Conscious Classroom, and how much that book is impacting all of us as we're thinking about making practical, because of course we have a belief system where uh, culturally um, and linguistically sustaining practices are in place, um, but sometimes that belief system is a little short on the how-to. And so having this book in our hands can make such a difference. And so, Claire, you brought up that getting books into the classroom, getting books, as, as Sims Bishop um, quotes, the, the windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors to help us learn um, about ourselves, about others, and, and all the things that make us human. And so now I'm wondering if, Claudia, is there anything that you can maybe share in your own experience? Because Claire is in specifically in a classroom every day, um, and we have the benefit of that brilliance right here. Um, Claudia or Allison, is there anything that you're thinking of in this broader context where you see many educators? Yeah, you know, one thing that I'm that I always think about, and Claire brought this up, right, is really getting to know your students in your classroom. Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy for us, you know, to to look at them and we might um without even meaning to start making assumptions about who they are or their families and their backgrounds. But one of the things we really want to start with in order for us to be able to use these books and not just have them on the shelves, right? Is get to know our students, get to know their families. We have in our book um some really useful, we hope, tools that teachers can use to get to know their students and to get to know their families as well so that then you can begin selecting these books right and so that 
that you can see which ones are mirrored, which ones are sliding glass doors, which ones are windows. And I think that really the core of this all is uh, a sense of belonging, right? We want all students to feel like they belong in the classroom. We want all students and families to feel like they belong in schools. And we first need to start getting to know them so we can see, you know, all of their different identities, um, who they are, and we can create spaces where they feel welcomed. And I love the example that Claire just shared, right? Because she does exactly that in so many different grade levels that she's taught, right? But it starts with getting to know who your students are. Yeah, it sure does. Allison, what are some of your thoughts? I agree with everything that you said, right? There's this whole like gap sometimes between our beliefs and, and what we're able to do in the classrooms, given the, the materials and, and what we have. Um, and then the whole idea of really when we get to know our kids and we we center them in our thinking about our planning, then it gets easier, right? It, it all kind of comes together much more um, easily. Yeah. Yes. Right. I think new teachers are taught like backwards plan from the assessment. But as teachers, when we're thinking about setting up our classroom, we want a backwards plan from where they start, where our kids are. Oh. That's so beautiful. That's a really important way to think about it. Um, and especially when our assessments may not be culturally sensitive, mm -hmm. um, that our assessments are often considering a small group of the population that is in our country. Um, and so they're already in a place where um, we're not sure if they're completely reliable. Instead, we might pair those um, but also think of the student first. Like, it's yeah. just so simple, so obvious. And also, um, sometimes we're like, it's smoke and mirrors. We're not always told, like, that's where we begin. And so looking at and with our students at the things that we can bring in for our learning and backwards plan from there, that's brilliant. After the break, Integrating Diverse Texts in the Classroom. Stay with us. All readers deserve to learn about the lives and experiences of people different from themselves. In their new book, Conscious Classrooms, Using Diverse Texts for Inclusion, Equity, and Justice, educators Alison Briseño and Claudia Rodriguez Mojica help teachers ensure that students experience books that reflect diversity, equity, and inclusion. The authors provide effective strategies for choosing texts with diverse stories and characters that are free from stereotypes, that reflect their students' lives, that expose them to other cultures and perspectives. Ensuring equity, diversity, and inclusion in the classroom is essential to making all students feel like they truly belong. Through this book, we'll help you get there. Join us on a rewarding journey of discovery and growth. Learn more at pdessentials.com. Go teach brilliantly. So can you uh, talk a little bit about how to integrate diverse books? So there's one thing where we're picking diverse books, right? Um, and in my work personally with schools, in many of the districts I've been going into, there's a nice hearty budget to get diverse books into schools and into the classroom. And then they're in the schools and in the classroom and maybe they're displayed like we see the cover of something 
but how can we go about truly integrating diverse texts in the classroom? Maybe Claire, do you want to start with that? Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the, like, I'm a book freak. And so <laughs> one of my favorite things is finding a new book and thinking, how can I use this not just to show my kids it and to have them recognize themselves in it, but also to bring in the comprehension piece. And especially when I'm teaching kinders to second grade, really trying to hit the phonics skills. And you can do those at the same time, especially with the text. Like I have read a lot of the same books that I read with K2 up with my fourth and fifth graders because they have similar comprehension statuses. And also all kids are at different levels with their phonemic awareness and phonics knowledge. Also, you can highlight things. You're finding sight words, you're finding vowel patterns. Um, you're using really cool poetry by diverse authors that go with the social emotional topic of the month. And like, once you just pick what what you're going to focus on, whether it be a skill, you can always connect that skill to a diverse text mm -hmm. and just make that skill so much more meaningful than if you're just doing some phonics flashcards. So really bringing those two things together and creating a space where kids can have these difficult conversations and be learning how to read these books on their own at the same time. Well, Claire, I think you're bringing up something that is in the forefront of all of our minds, because it's everywhere, is the conversation around the science of reading, or as we talk about on this podcast, the sciences of reading, um, mm -hmm. and how we can use diverse text and sciences of reading. And they do not need to be separate experiences. So I'm wondering, okay. Allison, could you speak a little more to that point? Yeah. And I just love everything that you both said, you know, Claire saying like we can do them together. So there isn't anything that you can do necessarily in a book of with that has animals as characters, right. That you can't do with a, with a diverse book. And so why not use them? And it gives you the added benefit of of maybe some of your kids get a new experience, maybe some of your kids get to see themselves in a mirror type way, right? So there's there's that added benefit. But like you said, um, the sciences of reading and the use of diverse books are not mutually exclusive. We can we can do both at the same time. And so like whether it's um, a read aloud or shared reading or a small group to teach foundational skills, whatever it is that you're doing, Diverse books can address comprehension, language development, et cetera. And I don't want to um, minimize the importance of foundational skills. They're certainly critical. And so much more is needed to create equity in education. Because when you look at the level of um, thinking that kids in more affluent districts are being asked to do, we need to make sure that we provide that same depth of content and knowledge and critical thinking skills for all kids. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know the word balanced is uh, unpopular right now, but we really do need a balance in how we're how we're addressing kids because there's never going to be a silver bullet because children are human. So there's never going to be one right way to do reading or writing or whatever. Yes, but there are more efficient ways and using diverse text and foundational skills together 
that is efficient and effective. Right. I think like nursery rhymes, Mm. it's like good idea. Um, Maybe we shouldn't teach the children that you can lock your wife up in a pumpkin or whatever. (laughs) And there are such great poems with very similar rhyming situations that you could use instead that are doing both at the same time. So really rethinking the things that we've done forever and Mm. how can we lift that up? Totally. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question now that virtually every teacher is probably thinking because whatever community they're in, there is probably somebody who's going to have a problem about the diverse text that they're reading. Not to say everybody will, but we know the climate right now. And we know that somebody is going to um, feel some kind of rub around a particular topic. And I'm going to say, and I think you would agree with me, gender identity is one of them that's getting a lot of friction lately um, in schools. In fact, I just had a conversation with a friend who works with educators and they were sitting there with a third grade team, like, let's do this book on immigration. Let's do this book on dreamers. Let's do this book on, I mean, there were so many different diverse topics and she brought out the um, Call Me Max series. And it was like screech. And the conversation just got like silent. And there was that stuff that that feeling, which I'm so glad they got to that feeling, because we want to get to the edge, right, of where something is. um, We're seeing that there's a topic that is needed to be talking about. But can you just share, like, how do you approach this? What are some things that some advice you can give us? I think this is one of the hardest things. Um, It also is the thing I'm most passionate about is making sure because this applies to all kids. And especially I'm seeing with my students, like the way that they get to explore gender and get out of this like horrible box that people are still trying to put our kids into. Mm -hmm. And like that is worth it. The fact that our kids need it. We need to be having these conversations. And we just have to think about what kind of people do we want our kids to turn into? Because all educators want their kids to become whole, great, lovely people that can have conversations in this difficult way. And so giving kids the tools to do that and to be a facilitator in that way. So reading texts like, um, the family book by Todd Parr. Mm, it talks about how families look differently. If a parent comes and complains that you taught them that two different mice can get married or adopt children, it's like, hopefully them talking about it will really make them realize that that's very silly, but it's just, it's more important that our kids get these ideas and don't get stuck in the past because that's how we got to this issue. These people that are fighting against people's rights to be who they are, they weren't given the opportunity to have these difficult conversations. They weren't given the opportunity to even think in this um, more diverse, less boxed in way. And so it's scary, but it's worth it. And if you can find the right text for your grade level that you think is the most appropriate, as long as you're not shying away from the issue and ignoring it, then you're empowering your students. 
And I think, I think that's the, the most important thing that we can do for kids is not shy away from hard topics or they will continue to do so. The words that are coming into my mind right now as I'm listening to you is we're doing the work of, of helping humans see the humanity in other humans. Yeah, like absolutely. That's the bottom line that knowing the humanity, whether we understand someone else's life or not, that there is a human being in there, who they are is not only valuable, but is a gift to all of us. After the break, having uncomfortable conversations. Stay with us. What if there was a book for every child one that reflected their unique identity and affirmed the value of their experience. The Benchmark Education Authentic Voices Library builds content knowledge and perspective with 550 books by diverse authors and illustrators. Available in English and Spanish, print and digital, and featuring robust teacher supports, the Authentic Voices Library provides enriching encounters with meaningful text. What would happen if every student could see themselves in a book? Claudia, what are you thinking? Yeah, you know, I mean, like Claire said, we want our students to be able to have these conversations, um, and we want like us as teachers, as educators, right, to be able to have these conversations too. So I think when you shared, you know, um, what you've heard and what you've been seeing, we've been seeing a, a lot too. And we want to normalize that, you know, this is scary. It's really frightening. You get very nervous. Uh, we all do, right? I'm sure, Claire, sometimes you get a little nervous, right, in, when you're doing this. So there's no like perfection, right? Um, but we do need to have the courage um, to be able to have these conversations, to enter these spaces, right? Even though we are a little nervous, because like you said, it's about seeing the humanity in everyone, right? And that sense of belonging, right? That we started talking about um, at the very beginning, that's all we want, right? That's what this is about, is we want all of our students with exactly who they are and exactly who their families are to feel like they belong, right? And like they themselves are human as well. If we don't do this, right, if we don't have these conversations, if we let that fear stop us, um, we we don't know, right? There might be students in our classrooms, there very likely will be, right? A student or two or more families that will feel like they don't belong in that classroom space. Even if you have the sweetest, most kindest, most experienced teacher, that doesn't matter, right? Um, if you're completely ignoring a key part of who they are and who their family is, right? And not helping them feel like they belong in that space. So I think that is just really, really important. We wanna normalize how challenging this is and we all get nervous. Um, you're not doing it wrong. If you're nervous, right, you're doing it right. You need to keep kind of pushing through. Um, and I just, you know, it's about belonging in schools and our classroom spaces. And we just want to remind everyone that not everyone feels that way, right, because of different pieces of who they are. And it's our responsibility as teachers. Um, I'm a teacher educator, so I work to prepare teachers. And so is Allison. It's our responsibilities to work with teachers to be able to do this, right? So because it's just that important. 
the key idea here, it's just about helping everyone, all of our students and families belong in these spaces. And it's our responsibility as teachers, right, to help create that space to be able to do that. And I want to, you know, say sometimes folks talk with like, you know, Allison and I about, um, you know, they use the word indoctrination, right? Like you're indoctrinating students or we don't want to indoctrinate students, right? But it's not about that, right? It's about sharing information. Um, it's about sharing different experiences through different texts. That's what we do as teachers. So we want to be clear that, that we're not talking about indoctrination here, right? We're talking about sharing this different information and allowing people to learn about other people um, and see their humanity, just like you said. Yes. And I think, you know, something that's coming to mind as I'm listening to you is indoctrination and creating a sense of belonging are not the same things. We as human beings are hardwired to feel a sense of belonging. Like it's down to our cellular level. There is science around it. And if we have settings where people do not feel as though they belong, the outcomes of that um, are vast, scary, and perpetuate for quite a long time. But to wrap up this important um, conversation, um, I'm hoping that you can give us some inspiration on how perhaps you have learned about these topics so that we can continue to learn as well. I think we're all going to start where we start. Like I grew up, it was white, middle class suburb of Boston. But my teachers still brought in issues that took place in other states with other groups of people because just because it doesn't mirror, that's why the other parts are so important. And so all of this work, when my first day of teaching, I started with a little bit. And then I got more out of the more conversations I had with students, the more conversations I had with parents the more um, I went out in the community, just being in your surroundings um, and learning about the cultural history of where you are and the history of where your families have been and what they want to see or what they need to feel belonging at the school. That's something my school's really working towards is how can we create a place of belonging for families where we're bringing more people in because I tell my parents all the time, like you're the, your child's first teacher and your voice is so important in it. And it's important that we are learning from these people, but we're also making sure that we're bringing in things that may not pop up in our normal conversation. So making sure we're still addressing all of the difficult issues that are a little bit harder to talk about. And by doing that, I mean, really, if you research, if you read, if you um, if you just look to others, you can find really great resources. And I think it's just about like jumping in with two feet and doing your best. Not all of these difficult conversations are going to be perfect, but the more you start, the better they will be and the more comfortable that you will feel doing this work. Claudia, Allison, some quick final thoughts. Yeah, I think I just want to echo Clara's like when I started teaching, it's just like Clara said, I started with my kids and their families and um, expanded from there. But I remember so clearly some of the initial conversations I had with with some of the students 
parents in particular um, and, and their older siblings, right? And I learned so much for them because they were from different places and I was from the East Coast and I found myself somewhere in California. I didn't know how I had gotten there even. And um, it was just, you know, I learned so much from them and that really allowed me to, to center them. And I still have a lot of work to do. Like I still have, there's tons and tons of different topics and cultures and whatever that I am still learning about, um, but I enjoy it. Um, so it's okay, Claudia. Yeah. You know, I think for my end, so I identify as Latina, Chicana, particularly my first language was Spanish and I learned English in school. So I speak both languages and I, you know, I, I share that because we all have something to learn, right? Like I, I feel like I have a closer connection and I know more about like immigration because of my family's background, right? About language and things like that, um, that maybe people that are monolingual, right? But there's a lot of other pieces, a lot of other identities and, and cultures that I know very little about. So I think, you know, starting um, to recognize, you know, what do I know and what am I very comfortable with and what am I less comfortable with? right? Um, because I need to become more comfortable with it if I'm going to really be able to serve all of the students in my classroom. So I do a lot of what Allison and, and Claire shared, right? Like I, books, like I go to texts um, to, you know, to learn more about this. I try and I stumble and I make mistakes and I make sure I make every effort to remedy those mistakes, right? If I do something that I'm just like, oh no, I really messed that one up, right? I apologize mm -hmm. and I do it. I try again, Right. So um, that's one of the biggest things is putting myself out there and trying and continuing to try, even if I fail and always try and remedy those mistakes um, and read. I need to do more of what Claire, you said, like going to museums and things like that. That's something that I think would really help me as well mm -hmm. um, and gather those local resources, um, because we all have a lot of learning to do in a lot of different areas. So I think for me, it's important to remember that. And I think that's the perfect way to end our conversation, though I could talk to you all for at least another um, day <laughs> about this <laughs> and pick your brains. But Claire, Allison, and Claudia, thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with us, your inspiration through your words, um, and really helping us think about culturally and linguistically sustaining practices how they are easily within reach um, and how student-centered they really are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Patty. We enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you, Allison Briseño, Claudia Rodriguez Mojica, and Claire Hood. Thank you, Patty McGee, and thank you for listening to Teachers Talk Shop. If you enjoyed this episode, if you've read Conscious Classrooms, then you're probably the sort of teacher, like Claire, who is interested in bringing more culturally and linguistically sustaining practices into your classroom. What if you could bring the texts that are featured in Conscious Classrooms into your classroom? Well, you can. Check out the Raycraft Books Conscious Classroom Collection. This is a library of 13 texts showcased in the PD Essentials book beautiful, authentic stories and illustrations that help all children see themselves in books. And teacher support is provided for every book in the collection. Learn more about the Raycraft Books Conscious Classroom Collection at rbclassroomsets.com. Throughout this season, we talk with leading literacy experts 
to explore current understandings and nuances of teaching and learning literacy. Our aim is to present a 360-degree view of literacy that positions us to address the needs of all students in today's classrooms. Thanks for listening. For Benchmark Education, I'm Kevin Carlson.